Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. What's that about? Joy. Y'all know the joy of the Lord is weird? Y'all know that? You ever got happy about something and thinking, why, why, is, why am I getting happy right now? You ever seen people in bad situations experience the joy of the Lord? It's weird. So what do you mean it's weird? I mean, it doesn't make sense. That's why it's called joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because it's different. Amen? Like, why would somebody be excited about how much they mess up? Amen? I'll tell you what, the only, the only way I get excited about being a failure is understanding how much God loves me anyway is understanding how that I can do nothing to keep myself. Amen. That his mercies, as Lamentation said, his compassions fail not, his mercies, they are new every morning. Amen. What a joy to be saved. Amen. Uh, Mr. Jan, I don't know if you got my message. I want to I take a second. We're going to sing this song together before we get into the message this morning. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, as we come into the Lord's house today, we need to remember it's his house. We've come to worship him. Amen. We've come to honor him. And I know we've done this a number of times. Well, I'll lead you. Y'all sing with me together. Praise the Lord this morning. Amen. We are commanded in the book of Hebrews to give him the sacrifice of the praise of our lips continually. So uh, let me give you an opportunity right now to do that one more time before we get into the sermon. Uh, Y'all sing along with me and we'll praise the Lord in this song. Thou art worthy. Sing out. Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, O Lord, amen, to receive glory, honor, and power, Thou art worthy, O created thou hast created thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are created thou art worthy O Lord. You know, the truth is in this life, we give praise and honor and glory to a lot of things, a lot of people uh, in this world, but there is nothing and there is no one more worthy of praise than our Savior this morning. I hope that as you come today, I really hope uh, that you come looking for something from God. Amen. Can I tell you, even though I'm here to preach today, and I know I'm about to, I'm about to do the preaching, I need to hear from God. Amen. I need to hear from the Lord. 
it was good for me to get to sit and listen to I don't know how many messages, uh, at least nine, probably more over the last week or so, uh, and just get to get preached to. Amen? Uh, because it is good to come to the Lord's house looking for something from God. I hope that's why you've come today, looking for something from God. But also, when we come into His sanctuary, we ought to come with praise. Amen? In our hearts. Praise on our lips for how good He is. Has God been good to you? Amen. Amen. If you've been saved this morning, He's been abundantly good to you. Amen. Now, He's been good to everybody. But if you've been saved, my soul, do you have something to worship over? Amen. The Lord Jesus told His disciples not to rejoice because the spirits were subjected unto them, but rather because their names were written in heaven. Are you saved this morning? Amen. Amen. Then you ought to praise Him. Amen. Give Him your heart and your praise this morning. Take your Bible and uh, turn to the book of Psalms, chapter number 51. We're going to be reading... Uh, the whole chapter there in Psalm 51 here in just a little bit. It's, it's not a lengthy chapter. We're going to read that together. But before we do, I want to give you a little bit of context of, of this chapter. Can I tell you, I heard a preacher say one time uh, that you ought to read Psalm 51 every week, and then after you've read it, pray. And I'll tell you, I think he's on to something, because it is an incredibly powerful chapter, uh, Psalm chapter 51. Your Bible, if it's like mine, there before the actual verses, uh, often in the Psalms it will give a heading, a title, if you will. And this one says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Now, those of you who are Bible students, you know the account of David and how that he was a man after God's own heart. And we know how that David really got his start there on that battlefield against Goliath and that God began to exalt him and began to bring him up, amen, there in uh, the kingdom of Israel and made him king over Israel. And he was the greatest king uh, to ever be king in Israel. That is, until the Lord Jesus finally sets up his kingdom, he's the greatest king outside of the Lord Jesus to ever reign over Israel. I mean, I, I don't believe there's any debate over that truth that he was such a godly man. I mean, look at what he's given us here through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in the book of Psalms. I mean, it's miraculous to read how much that God spoke to and through David and did such a mighty work. But David was not a perfect man. In fact, David was a very flawed man. And uh, that lesson should be this. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. What a powerful thing to say. Amen. To say that that man was a man after God's own heart. That God, that he and God were similar in some ways. And that God loved him and he was a wonderful man. And to see his flaws should tell us one thing, that even the best of us is very flawed. Amen. David was a flawed man. You can read in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You can read by way of introduction. You can see David's disobedience in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 there. That at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11, it tells us that David was at home during the time when the kings were to go out to battle. But rather than going out to battle, he sent Joab and his armies and while he was at home, in a sense, being disobedient by not having gone out, he then went up on the roof. And we know the story of how that he said he saw Bathsheba washing herself, and he began to desire her in his heart. Because he was in a place of disobedience, he was particularly um, susceptible to the temptation of the devil in the flesh. Can you say amen? He was disobedient. Then we see after his act of disobedience, as he called for her and brought that woman to him that was not his wife, but there was another man's wife, and he went into her that he had been disobedient and he had sinned 
against God. But it is one thing to sin against God and make a mistake. But then we know in the account how that Bathsheba was then with David's child. And then we see David not only in disobedience, but in desperation as he calls for Uriah, her, her husband, has him come back and tries to, he literally tries to get him drunk and send him home to his wife to hide his sin. I mean, we're talking about a desperate man, all right? He's doing everything he can to cover up his failure to, uh, to get himself out of the trouble that he's in. Unfortunately, we know that the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. And David is a living example of that as he tried multiple times to get Uriah to go home to his wife. And in that sense, we see that Uriah was a better man than David in his walk with God at that time. For he said, how should I go home while my brothers are out at battle and at war? Which is exactly what David was doing at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Amen. So he is a desperate man. He is then, he becomes a deceitful man. When he sends a notice to, to, uh, to his his, uh, his captain, and he tells him, he says, I want you to put Uriah in a dangerous place in the front of the battle so that when the battle goes badly, you pull back and let them kill him. Now, it is one thing to make a mistake. We all make mistakes. Amen. You ever stub your toe and say something you shouldn't? Amen. Somebody ever do something to make you mad and you think things in your heart or mind about them you shouldn't? There's times when I want to lay hands suddenly, amen, on somebody. But I don't, like Braden when he was challenging me about smash. I wanted to, I want, you know, no, I'm just teasing. There's times when you have a thought or, or you'll do something and you'll say something you shouldn't. You'll snap at somebody or you'll, you'll be hateful or you, maybe you'll let your eyes wander and look at something you shouldn't or do something wrong. It is, it is one thing to make a mistake, but then... This went much further than a mistake. It went to a desperate attempt to try and cover up his sin, followed by a deceitful action that resulted in the death of a good man, a just man, who did nothing to deserve that death. And at the end of 2 Samuel chapter number 11, David's deceit is completed when Bathsheba goes into mourning at the death of her husband, and he brings her to him to comfort her and makes her... His wife. Can I tell you that from the outside looking in, that probably looked like a great act of kindness on David's part. This great, later you can read about the mighty men of David. Y'all ever read there in the, in, the, in the books of the Kings and Samuel talks about David's mighty men and those men who did those great acts. It names one, Uriah, the Hittite. He was considered one of David's mighty men, a great man of valor. So how, how, how just... And benevolent must it have looked for David to say, this poor widowed woman is now without a husband. He died for me on my behalf. I'm going to take her into the king's home and make her a queen. Bless him, Jesus. And all this was a lie of deceit. That's pretty wicked. We all agree. David is an example of a good man in the Bible, but this right here is his darkest hour. And we see his disgrace in 2 Samuel chapter 12 where a man comes to him by the name of Nathan, a prophet. And he walks in, and if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, we won't for the sake of time, but if you go to 2 Samuel 12 and you begin to read, it just takes right off at the beginning. Nathan walks in and he said, there was a man, a certain man. And we know the story. He gives him the example of a man who had one lamb, and then this rich man who had many came in and he took the one away from him. And Nathan asked him, well, what should happen to that man? And David said, well, he should, he's going to pay with his life. He'll be put to death. 
And those famous words that Nathan spoke, Thou art the man, brought suddenly on David's head a great disgrace. Suddenly all that fear he'd been feeling, and all that conniving he had done, all that sneaking and having Joab literally cause the death of a good just man, stealing his wife away, committing adultery with her while he was away at war for him, it all came down on his head. And David's response to that declaration from that man Nathan was very simply, I have sinned against the Lord. And in that moment, I think it's like he came to himself. He becomes so over... And David knew what was right. Can you all agree David knew he was wrong? He knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew it was wrong for him to commit adultery. He knew that it was wrong for him to have this man killed unjustly. Amen. He knew it was wrong to lie and to cheat and to steal. But he did all those things and he came out looking like a great benevolent king. And now, here comes God's man walking in. And suddenly, it's all out in the open before him. And it was all done in secret, and Nathan told him, what you did was in secret, but God is going to make it public, and God's going to punish you before all men. And David said, I've sinned against the Lord, and he immediately turned to God and began to repent. And that's what we have in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I have acknowledged my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Have you ever felt that way? You ever done something that was wrong? No matter how hard you tried, you could never really get over it. Every time you're doing well and every time things are going good, you ever been sitting in the middle of church and you're, you're living for God, you're trying to serve God, you're doing well, you're doing right, and suddenly the devil brings to mind some terrible thing you did when you were young and when you were wicked or when you were lost or when you were backslidden, something you did, and he begins to beat you up about it. You ever been there? That's what David meant when he said, my sin is ever before me. I'll never forget what I did. That he would bear the scars of his sin forever, that he would. Next verse there, verse number four. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desiredst truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Verse seven. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Can I tell you, verses 7 down through verse number 10. Let's read verse 11 and 12 too as well. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like a man who has been miserable for a long time. Doesn't it? Purge me with hyssop. I'll be clean. Wash me. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. God is making David suffer. Y'all do know that the young child that Bathsheba bore died at child, after childbirth. Even though he prayed all night, fasting, praying, fasting, praying. The child died. He'd suffered. 
Can you say amen? He'd suffered and he was admitting it's because of my sin. And I know that, God, you've broken some bones. You've caused some, some things, some judgment in my life, and it's right and it's just. But God, can I, can I have joy again? You see that? Can I have joy and can I have gladness? Make me to hear joy and, and gladness and create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me that his spirit was wrong. His heart was dirty. Does that sound familiar? Verse 11, cast me not away, take not thy Holy Spirit. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Look at verse 15, he said, Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Let me make a statement to you. You don't have to wait for a great moving of the Holy Ghost to show praise to God. You say, well, I'm waiting for God to tell me to do it. He did. Read Psalm 150. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. You've already been commanded to praise God, and every opportunity you've got to do it, you better. God forbid it be your last chance. Amen. But this right here, David said this, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will show forth thy praise. It's like David is in such a state he's not even been able to praise God. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, wilt thou not despise do good in thy good pleasure and design. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thy altar. You know what he's saying? I can't even offer sacrifices to you, God, because my heart is wrong. God, you don't even want my sacrifices because they're not righteous. He said the sacrifices of righteousness. He said this, my heart's dirty. My lips, they're unclean. I'm sinful. I'm wicked. I was born in wickedness. God, until you cleanse me of this sin, I, I can't worship you. I can't praise you. I can't do anything good, God, until you'll cleanse me. You see that? As David writes these powerful words, my sin is ever before me. As psalm is truly a prayer more than anything else. This is a prayer. Do you see that? It's God, please. God, please forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Help me. Then restore me. It, it is a prayer really with two main, two primary requests that he is making through these 19 verses. One, it is a prayer for forgiveness. Right? My sin is ever before me. I've sinned against you. God, please, cleanse me, God. Forgive me. Help me. But it is also a prayer of restoration. God, forgive me and cleanse me. And then... Help me and restore me. He said, make me to hear joy and gladness. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. In the middle of all this mess of David's greatest trial, his darkest day, his greatest failure, as the prophet Nathan stood there before him and read him his mail, and the light bulb came on in David's mind and in David's heart as he went to God in prayer, he realized something. I haven't felt the joy of the Lord in a long time. Can you see that? 
I haven't, hadn't been praising Him. Hadn't been praying, talking with God. You better believe David was a man who knew how to praise God. I mean, we have probably more accounts of David's praise than anyone else in the whole Bible just in reading the book of Psalms, not even taking into account all the times we see it in his life in the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. But David was a man who praised God. Amen. He was quick to praise. The first in line to praise God and to worship Him. And yet here he said, he said, God, I need you to open my lips again. Because they've been shut to praise. God, I need you to clean my heart again because it's been a dark place. And, and God, I have lost my joy. This is the man who wrote in Psalm 1611, that will show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The man who wrote that is now saying in Psalm 51, God, will you let me hear joy and gladness again? Will you restore to me the joy of thy salvation? He found himself in a joyless place. It had taken the harsh words of God's man to awaken him to that truth. But as David recognized his sin, he became acutely aware of something that he had been missing. His joy in the Lord was gone. This morning as I look around in our church, and I look around in other churches, and I look around at the state of our country today, and this week we were at that camp, and I, there was, I think, 285 people, they said, registered teenagers and their counselors. That's a lot of folk. Uh, I don't know how many different churches had groups there and people were represented. But it's, I talked to a lot of different pastors sitting around talking with some different men of God and different things and asking how things are going. And you hear a lot of things, you see a lot of things, but there's something I, I think that I'm afraid that we have that has crept into our churches unaware, just like it crept up on David without him knowing. We've lost our joy. It took David going to a terrible place to realize that he had gotten far enough away from God that he no longer felt the joy of the Lord that he had once felt. David, who had stood in the courtyards there of the tabernacle and worshipped God, who had literally danced before the Lord, who played the harp and, and the timbrel and sang, the one who stood before all the nation of Israel there in that army in the battle before Goliath and said, is there not a cause? And that, that we have the God of heaven. That same man, he said, I can't even feel the joy of the Lord anymore. I dare say if David, a man after God's own heart, who did more for God than most people ever will, can get to that place, so can we. My question this morning I want to ask you is very simply this. I want you to take a moment and just look at yourself and ask yourself this question. What happened to your joy? Can you remember a time where you were in church and they sang, Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not, my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me, He died at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. And you thought, Amen. Thank God for that mercy and that grace. Pardon there was multiplied to me. You ever remember hearing those words? You ever remember being in church and hearing amazing grace? How sweet the sound. The choir will sing sometime, God's been good. And you feel the stirring of God, of joy in your heart. And unbidden from you, not meaning to, tears well up. You know what we call them? Tears of what? Joy. And then whether you meant to or not, a hand. 
seen people get up and go down to the altar, not because they're ridden down with guilt, but because their heart is full of joy and they need to just get down and say, God, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Can you remember that time in church? Well, let me say, first of all, if you can't ever remember a time when you experienced the moving of the Holy Ghost and the joy of the Lord welling up inside, you might ought to do what Paul said and and you might ought to seek out your own salvation. You might ought to work it out with fear and trembling. Because joy of the Lord is a fruit of the Spirit. But sometimes circumstances and situations in our life can steal away from us the experience of the joy of the Lord. The truth is we ought always to be joyful at our salvation. Amen. We ought always to be joyful when we hear about that amazing grace. We ought always to be joyful when we think about how good God has been to us and how how He's blessed us and how He's answered our prayers and how He went to the cross and died for us. God help us when we get to a place where a man could stand and preach on the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the suffering of Christ and us be unmoved, unaffected, not even caring what was being said. Bored, checking the clock, hungry for lunch. When that gets to you and you're that way and you think back and you think back, I remember being younger and I remember maybe last year around this time or I remember this time when, when I was walking with God and I was reading my Bible and I was praying and I was, I was excited about being in God's house. I was there every time the doors were open and, 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 and the singers were singing and I'd feel the Holy Spirit move and the, the preacher would preach and God would speak to me. And Amen. Have you ever experienced that? It's called walking in the Spirit. That's what Paul talked about in the book of Galatians chapter 5 and chapter 6 that we should walk in the Spirit. And when we do, and we're, when we're with God in communion with God, have you ever experienced that joy of the Lord? What about today? When's the last time you felt a genuine moving of joy in your heart, in God's house, at home? Pull out your phone, and my wife on Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, I'm usually up earlier, and I'll be upstairs if I I stay up there sometime, or whether I'm down here, if I'm up there in the morning sometime like I was this morning, I was upstairs for a few hours before they woke, and I can always tell downstairs when Brooke has woken up, because I start hearing her phone playing gospel music. Started playing that, that, that same album she plays a lot of time on Sunday morning from this young couple singing. Uh, they sing that song, There's One Particular, No One Else Can Take the Burdens From Me. No one else could melt this heart of stone. It took Jesus and the blood He shed on Calvary. No one else could do what He's done for me. And when I hear that, I feel that joy well up in my heart. When's the last time that happened for you? Has it been a while? Was it today? Or was it Wednesday? Or was it just last week? Or are you good? Or do you feel the joy of the Lord? Or, or have you grown cold? Have you grown calloused? Have you grown a dirty heart like David? Let me give you three simple things that can steal your joy. First, unrepentant sin will steal your joy. So Brother Paul, I don't know why I just don't feel it like I used to feel it. You got sin in your life? Because let me tell you something, as long as you have unrepentant sin, say, what is that? Sin that you're not interested in giving up. You're not trying to get it right. You're not looking to get it right. Every time the preacher preaches and every time the Word of God comes your way and the Holy Spirit brings to your mind that thing you've been doing, you think, I don't want to hear that. That's why David said, have mercy on, upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Wash me 
truly from mine iniquity because he had sin in his life that for an extended period of time, he was not repentant. He was trying to hide it. He was trying to excuse it. He was trying to work it out where it would all be okay. But he did not care that it was wrong. Is that you? If it is, can I tell you, if you live in unrepentant sin, you will not have the joy of the Lord. And God will give you a life that is cold and that is dry. Amen. Unrepentant carnality in the heart of a Christian is the number one thing that will steal away your joy. A life that is living in sin is the joy killer. Our walk becomes interrupted. John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus said this in verse number 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Here's what Jesus said, I'm telling you, walk in my commandments and you'll abide in my love. Why? Because I want to control you? No, He said this, if you'll walk in my commandments, your joy will be full. You know what that means? Living for God is the only life that can give us true fulfillment. Amen. People wandering around, they're drinking, and they're taking part in drugs, and, and, and going from one partner and to the next partner and to the, uh, in, in, in the flesh and in the body, committing all kinds of sins, and, and doing this and doing that. And, and they're, they're seeking every man they can, every woman they can, trying to find that joy. And the thing is, the only thing that's going to give it is walking in His commandments. That's it. Getting right with God, having the love of God in you, and you in Him is the only thing that will fulfill your joy because God made us for Him. Thou art worthy, we sing, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Thou art worthy. Why? For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they were and are created. Guess what? You're all things. You were made for God's pleasure. You walk in the Lord, and when you're walking with God, your joy we feel. So guess what? When your walk gets interrupted by sin, and your joy dries up, don't wonder why. David looked around and said, I've sinned against God. And immediately he went to God, and he began to cry out to God, Lord, have mercy on me, cleanse me, wash me, Lord. Please let me hear, let me feel your joy again. Our word is insincere when we have unrepentant carnality. David, I told you, he looked like a good, godly man. Oh, look at this man being so benevolent, rescuing this poor widow woman out of, out of, out of, out of her poverty, out of, out of the loss of her husband. What was she going to do? He, he brought her in and made her a part of the king's home. But he was a hypocrite. His word was insincere. It was just lies. Amen. And guess what? If you're sitting here this morning... Now I'm looking around, I see you here. And you come in here every Sunday or every, every Wednesday or whatever, maybe you come in and you, you got your nice shirt on, you got your nice dress on, you got your nice outfit on, you come walking in, you, you look nice, you're sitting there, you stand up, you sing with the congregational, you, you sit down, you, you got your Bible with you, and you get up and you go home after church, and we say, hey amen, well, they're, they're a good person. They went to church, everything's good. They must, everything must be good with them, but let's be honest. If you're living today with unrepentant sin in your life, all of that is a facade. It's a farce we talked about in Sunday school this morning. It was a word that came up. We were looking at that farce. It is putting up a front. That's all David was doing. As far as anybody else knew, David was still that man after God's own heart, that godly king. But in his heart, in his heart, he'd gotten dirty. Amen. In his heart, he'd become unrepentant. And suddenly, he realizes 
Where's the joy of the Lord? Book of 1 John tells us this in chapter 2. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, all to himself also to walk, so to walk, even as he walked. Our word is insincere when we say we are right, and in our heart we are full of unrepentant sin. We're no better than the Pharisees. This leads to a life where we cannot enjoy the good that God has done for us because of the guilt of our sin. Have any of y'all ever lived in that state? I'll raise my hand today and tell you I have lived in this state. I have lived in the state where I had things in my life that did not need to be there, and I knew they didn't. Amen? The preacher got up and preached, and when he did, the Holy Spirit said, He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. And I said, well, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. I'll take care. Everything will be fine. But I'm not willing to go and repent. Have you ever been there? You ever had sin in your heart you didn't want to give up? David did. And guess what? The guilt, you better believe he knew what was right and what was right and what was wrong. David knew. He knew he was in the wrong. He knew he was was rebelling against God. He knew that he was doing what was wicked, and yet he kept doing it. And because of that, that guilt that lives in your heart, when every time you go back to that same sin, to that same sin, and you don't repent, every time that guilt just gets stronger. And when you're overcome with guilt, you cannot enjoy the goodness of God. You can't. How, how, how would David have enjoyed the blessings of his other wives, of his children, knowing that he was being unfaithful? How was he to, how was he to feel like a good godly king, stand up and give a speech about the Lord, or to lead in a psalm, and in his heart knowing what he was doing? You can't. They become weak inside. How can we have the joy of the Lord when we force the Holy Spirit to live grieved within us at all times. Let me say that again and we'll move on. How can we have and experience the joy of the Lord when we cause the Holy Ghost, who the Bible tells us lives in us, are you saved this morning? If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you. If He lives in you, how can you tell me you experience the joy of the Lord when He is living constantly grieved by how you're living your life? You can't. The first thing that will steal your joy away is when we submit to sin and we relinquish victory in our lives and we live a defeated lifestyle under the sin of the flesh and the the, the sin of our flesh, that unrepentant carnality steals away God's joy from our lives. The second thing that will steal away the joy of the Lord in our lives is unresolved conflict. 1 John 4, verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I'll say amen. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. As John wrote those words in 1 John chapter 4, he was writing them because that is exactly what the Lord Jesus told them. If you love me, you will love one another even as I have loved you. That's what he told them. 
John said, if you're going to tell me you love God, but you don't love your brother, then you're a liar and the truth's not in you. Unresolved conflict creates divisions. We spent so much time, and we've still got this banner hanging up over here, about dwelling together in unity. Did you know that when you have an unresolved conflict with someone else in the church, it is always going to end in division? Not just between you and them, but you and yours and them and theirs. Say amen. Those divisions that start with one little hurt thing or one little thing that is unresolved and unfixed, eventually it will grow. At the very least, it will, it will engulf your immediate family. And then it will grow to those that, are, that you'll have people on your side and they'll have people on their side. Can I tell you something this morning? There is absolutely no place for that in the house of God. Amen. Amen. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We are to serve God in the spirit of unity. We know that. We've dealt with it so much in this church. But we know that when we allow something to come up in our heart and we do not resolve it, it will eventually cause hurt feelings and bad feelings toward others and other people toward them within the church. Unresolved conflict is a cancer in God's people. And it will steal away the joy of the Lord. So ah, that's not true. Uh, they, they're wrong and they're in the wrong and they know they're in the wrong and bless God, it don't bother me. I can go on about my business. Okay, well, let's get in here and let's have Holy Ghost meeting. The joy of the Lord start moving through and a wind blowing through and God is good. And, and then that person that you can't stand walks in the back of the church. You think you'll be standing with your arms raised praising the Lord? Or will you experience that feeling we have all felt? That sinking. You ever felt that? When that person walks in, that sinking feeling in your gut. That person that you're angry with, or that person who is angry with you, who maybe you're not angry with, but you know they're angry with you, and you know they're hurt at you, and you haven't done anything about it. And you, you know, you just, they walk in, but Tim, you ever felt that, that sinking feeling? You go in Walmart, you look across the aisle, and there they are. Y'all don't sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. As far as I know, everybody in here is human. I've been there. Back many years ago, I've talked a little bit about it. It's been seven, eight years now, something like that. The church we were at previously, they had a huge conflict, and I'm going to tell you, it was an ugly, bloody mess. And I walked out of that hurt like I've never been hurt. I've never been hurt like I was hurt in that situation. And every time I see them, I feel that pain again. Now, I'll tell you, I pray for them. I still pray for them. Every time the Lord brings it to my mind, I pray for them. I love them. The pe people who told me they would, ne they, they, hate, they pretty much, they might as well both him look at me and said, I hate you. I told them. And I know this sounds like, oh, Brother Paul, he's so spiritual. No, no, no. Don't you, don't you get it wrong. I'm not so spiritual. But with God's help, he helped my heart in that. But there is unresolved conflict there because they would not resolve. The last words I had with some of them was, I love you. I've, I've known you my whole life. We, I'll do anything I can to make this right. You just tell me, and their words were, there will never be peace. There will never be reconciliation. That was the word that was given to me. What can you do? You do what the Bible says. You tell them you love them. You tell them you're sorry. You tell them you want to make it right, and they say nothing will ever make it right. And you, whoop. You go to God and say, God, I, I, I've done everything I can to resolve it. And in my heart, it's been made right with God. But can I tell you, it wasn't like I got up the next day and suddenly it was all over. 
and all gone. Well, I'm good. They're still mad, but I'm good. No, no, no. I, if they'd have walked in the back of the church, in any church I was in, Brother Tim, I don't know what I'd have done. There's the longest time. There's a handful of them I hadn't seen in, in years. When, when John Harvey died last year, one in particular, a young man who I love, we, he was very close with me growing up. He's younger than me. He was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. And he was close with my brother. He'd come to me. And we hugged. I told him I loved him, told him I miss him. First time I've laid eyes face to face on him since all that went down. Unresolved conflict creates divisions. But it doesn't just create divisions. It creates some other things that are harmful to us. It creates distance. Distance between you and the one you haven't resolved that conflict with? Yes. But it also creates a distance between you and God. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul said this. He said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man shall follow the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that if we let corrupt communication come out of our mouth, that is, that, that we're supposed to do that which is good to edifying, because if we let corrupt communication come out of our mouth, it will grieve the Holy Spirit of God, and then we're to let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from us, and to be kind one to another. The Bible tells us that when we create uh, a conflict between brothers and sisters in Christ, and we do not resolve it, we create a distance between us and God. Because God said, put that away from you. If we won't put it away from us, then we're putting a block, Brother Tim, between us and our God. How can we experience the joy of the Lord when there's distance between us and God? God said, draw nigh unto me, I'll draw nigh unto you. Isn't that what he said? How am I going to draw nigh to God with an unrepented heart toward my brother? It creates distance, but it also creates distress. I, I mentioned that feeling you get. That feeling in your heart. This morning, right now, if you were sitting here and the Holy Spirit was speaking to your heart and then that person walked in the back, would it snatch that feeling of joy right away from you? Unresolved conflict is a joy stealer. That's what, that's what the verse said there in Hebrews chapter 12. It said, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. You ever felt troubled by that root in your heart? Nothing makes me, I'll be honest, nothing makes us more anxious than being around people who we dislike or who dislike us. It's a torment of the mind, isn't it? Man, it makes you stressed. Stressed, anxious. You want to get out of there. Don't look at me in my eye and tell me you've never avoided an aisle at Walmart because of who was in there. Thought, I'll come back in 15 minutes. Sure you have. We've all, because we're human. And we have conflict. And sometimes conflict arises. And that happens. But unresolved conflict, that is a root of bitterness. That is a grudge. Grudges have no place in the heart of a child of God. Period. Amen. We understand unrepentant carnality can steal your joy. Unresolved conflict can steal your joy. Unwise comparisons can steal your joy. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, 
for we dare not make ourselves with a number or compare ourselves with some that condemn themselves. Listen, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So what do you mean, unwise comparisons? One thing that I think will also, in your, in your Bible, steal away your joy, and I believe we see it in David's life as well, <clears throat> these unwise comparisons, they breed discontentment. It's looking around you and saying, I'm just not happy with the way things are in my life. I'm just not content with what God has given me, even though we are told, be content with such things as you have. Having therefore food and raiment, such be content. You know what he said? Being content is saying, God, I am happy with what you've given me. Doesn't mean I don't want anything else. When I wasn't married, I wanted a wife. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. And it's okay to have desires in your heart, things that you want, things you desire. That's okay. But what's not okay is being miserable where you are when God has put you there. Amen. This week, Brother Andrew Decker was down at the teen camp and he preached a message on, on getting what God has already given you. How to get what God has already given you. And here's what he said. It takes patience. He talked about how that he was over 30 before God ever finally gave him a wife and that he was serving God and he never had a ministry and all those things and how it took waiting on God and there were opportunities when he could have made something happen for himself and didn't, and now because he was willing to wait that God gave him the desires of his heart. Amen. It's a blessing. But here's the thing. What I see in a lot of folk is we're just not happy with what we got. Can you say amen? We're not happy with what we got. Why can't my... Let me give you some examples. This breeds discontentment. The longer we sit and stare at what others have, the less content we will become with what we've been given. Listen. The longer we sit and stare at what others have, the less content we'll be with what we have been given. Man, I wish my car was as nice as their car. Man, I wish my house was as nice as their house. My mama, they always, she used to, she's got a lot of those old-timey idioms, and she used to say, I wish I had what they had and they had a feather, and then we'd both be tickled. It's an old jokey saying, right? Sometimes we get so torn up about what we don't have that we cannot have joy in what we do have. We become so overburdened by comparing our lives with the lives of others. God, how come they've got it and I don't? Well, what that does is it brings envy. You know what the Bible says about envy? Proverbs 27, 4, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? You know what that means? Nothing will destroy you quicker than allowing envy and covetousness to come into your heart. You begin to hate someone for what they have because you want it. Amen. Envy, it's cruel. Envy is looking at God. It's looking at His provision and it's saying, this is not enough. And I will only be satisfied with more with what they have. This leads, it not only breeds discontentment and brings evil, but it, it brings envy, but it leads to evil. James chapter 3, verse 14. I'm almost done. Stay with me. James chapter 3 and verse 14 says this, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. 
For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So what kind of evil does it really bring just because I'm looking at what someone else has and I think I'd like to have that? The kind of evil where we compare our marriage with another. Listen to me. I wish she was more like her. Don't go down that road. I wish my husband was more like her husband. Comparing yourselves amongst yourselves is not wise. Why? Because where envying is, there is every evil work. I dare say David looked out off that rooftop toward Bathsheba and thought, man, she's a whole lot prettier than any of the women that I'm married to. Because we know we had more than one wife already. And guess what? It led to some evil in David's life. And then, it led to some evil in Solomon's life. You know what destroyed Solomon? His desire toward women. It leads to comparing our marriage with another. I wish that my husband made as much money as her husband. I wish that my wife did this. And I wish that my husband was like that. And Don't do that. Don't go down that road. All that's going to do is cause you to be discontent. It's going to cause you to be discontent with what you have, and then it's going to cause you to be envious of what others have, and then it's going to take you to the path toward evil. Amen. I, I don't really mean to focus on this, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a testimony. I sat in the bedroom with a, a young man I love dearly. It's been years back now. He was married to a member of my family. He had decided he was leaving. Came home, told his wife he was leaving. Come to find out he was leaving because him and his best friend's wife had formed a relationship. As they began to compare the people they were married to, well, if you were my husband, I know it would be like this. Well, if you were my wife, I know it would be like this. I sat in his room, and he wept, and I wept, and I tried for, I don't know how many hours I sat in there, Brother Tim prayed. Tried my best to get him to understand, you can't walk away from your wife, your two small children, because of what you think in your head is a fairy tale that's not. You're going to get on the other side, and you're going to find out that all the problems you've got now, you'll have then. But it was too late. He said, I've already burnt that bridge. He walked away. I can see the damage in his children. The woman he left, her life has been damaged irreparably. Because comparing yourselves amongst yourselves, it only ever leads to evil works. The more you think about what they have and how you wish you ha they had that, the less content you'll become with what God is giving you right now. So my husband don't even go to church, or my wife ain't even saved, or, or they don't work, or this or that, and that or this. Okay, I'm not telling you they're perfect, but I'm telling you this. It's what God's given you. Or at the very least, it's where you are. And you need to pray that God will help you with what you have where you are, and not that God will give you what someone else has. Amen. Comparing marriages... That's not the only thing we compare. Some, sometimes we compare other things. We compare money, don't we? 
Man, I wish I had that kind of job. I, well, how come I work ten times harder than they work, and they get to live like this? It's just not fair. Some wise, be content with food and raiment. That's what the Lord said. Or he said he said he's able to he's able to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. He didn't say he's able to supply all your wants. He's not able to give you a Ferrari just because you want it, but you'll never go hungry. He wants to know that you're content with his provision and listen with him. The joy of the Lord never comes because of all the things I have. If that was true, Hollywood would be the happiest people on earth, but they're not. How many of them do you read? Every, if you, you get on any social media platform today, you'll see 30 headlines about the next dude who's in rehab or the next woman whose life is a wreck. Amen. About this one, writing a novel, writing, writing their autobiography because of all the years they did drugs and how, how miserable they are. Amen. Because their joy is not in the Lord, it is in their substance. Guess what? Comparing your substance with someone else's substance, there's always somebody who's got more. Just be happy with what God has given you. You have a desire for more, that's fine. You pray for it and you ask for God's will. You work hard, you do the best you can. But with whatever comes, you trust God. That's how you have joy. Comparing our ministry with another. How come that church down the road, it's got the wrong Bible, the wrong music, the wrong attitude, the wrong doctrine, how come they've got 5,000 members? And we've only got 50 or they've got 500 and we've only got 20. It does not do well to compare amongst yourselves. It's not wrong to want God to grow something, to make something better, but it is wrong when you allow comparing to bring a root of bitterness in your heart. And you know what it does? It steals away your joy. Would I love to see every pew in this place full this morning? You better believe I would. I'm asking God to fill them. I'm asking God every time I get up a gospel track, please, Lord, let them come to church. Every time I invite somebody, Lord, please, let them come to church. And we'll go out on visitation this next week for VBS. I'll say, God, please, send more families, send more kids, and let us give them the gospel, and let them come into this work and to be a part of it. Amen. I'm praying for that. But you know what? We water, we plant, but it's God who's got to give the increase. You know what will happen if I sit around after going down this week to that camp and I, I look at the ministries of some of those men down there who've got a couple hundred members in their church or two or three hundred members and, and they've got all this going on and they've got ten young preachers following them around and they got all this and it just, man, it just looks like they've got this and they got that and I think, man, I'd love to see this in this ministry or I'd love to see that and I think, man, if I sit around and I compare myself with someone who by my purview has got all these things I wish I had, it is only ever going to cause bitterness and envy in my heart. We came into this church just a couple weeks ago. Brother Josh England came down here. Brother Josh England, we come in, we looked around, and you know what he said to me? Man, I give anything to have what you've got here. Oop, I'm going to destroy this picture. Now it's on the ground. I won't, it won't break anymore. He said, I'd, love, I'd give anything to have the, you know, you've got this a nice office upstairs, and to have some of these. He mentioned a few other things about the facilities, a few other things about the people, and he mentioned Brother Joe, you getting up, brother, and just opening like you do with the, with the, with the announcements and just being, being a blessing to the service. Said, Man, I wish I had somebody who could do that for me. There's always something in someone else, and I'm not throwing Josh under the bus, I'm just trying to tell you, there's nothing wrong with saying, man, I hope God gives me that one day. But we could sit around and say, man, I wish we had that. Or I wish I had this. 
And when you do that, you take away the blessing of what you have. Amen. What do we have this morning? So much. We have so much that God has given us. He has given us this church. He's given us one another to come together and to worship God this morning. He's given us our children. Amen. He's given us, our, some of y'all's got grandchildren. He's given you a husband. He's given you a wife. He's given you health. He's given, some of you just graduated from your, from your degrees, and God is, is doing things in your life. He's blessing. He's helping you. Amen. God has given you so much just because you don't have what they have. Don't let that steal your joy. What happened to your joy this morning? Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.